0: Welcome back. This is Sydney O'Sullivan. And today I've got the great pleasure of interviewing my friend, Michelle Seiler Tucker. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Sydney. How are you? It's really great to see you. We haven't seen each other for years. We, we were both at an event and uh, really yeah. connected. And Michelle is an awesome person to know because she's a specialist not only in starting and growing businesses like so many of the other millionaires that I've interviewed, but she's also a specialist in helping you sell your business or get your business humming and working smoothly so that you can sell it for the best price. And we're celebrating right now because she is launching her new book co-authored with Sharon Lecter, who is very famous for having written the Rich Dad uh, book series um, with Robert Kiyosaki. And your book is called Exit Rich. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's wonderful to see you. And what made you decide to co-author a book with Sharon? That's a great coup to, to get someone as experienced at teaching wealth as Sharon Lecter.
1: So I had written. So this is my third book, actually, mm-hmm. and I probably have another seven in me. But this is my third book, and I was talking to David Corbin. You know, David Corbin. I don't. Oh, I, there, he's a
0: very there. good.
1: He's a very good friend of mine in Sharon's, and I've met Sharon numerous times at different events, just like you and I met at an event. And Sharon and I have spoke, you know, on the same stages. And you know, I was looking because we're trying to make some list, and it always helps if you have a co-author that's made the New York Times and. David said, well, what about showing lecture?" And I'm like, oh gosh, I love to, you know, but (laughs) I don't know. And he goes, well, send me the manuscript and I'll send it to her. So I sent him the manuscript and I was so, you know, nervous. Like, is she going to like it? What's she going to say? What's she going to think? And she came back and said, she absolutely loves it. That it's one of the best she's read and that she wants to do it with me. And so that was amazing. And so most of the manuscript was already done. What she did, which was very um, powerful and impactful, is she wrote the Mentor's Corner after each one of my chapters. Oh, that's and great. from her perspective, because, yes, she's famous for rich job Poor but she's also a CPA. She's also a financial literacy expert. She's also the advisor to many different presidents. And her husband is an intellectual property attorney. So we talk a lot about IP and exit rich and building your synergies. And so he added some information, some content as well, to the proprietary section. So it was a great relationship. And, and, you know, I thank David for putting that together. And.
0: Well, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. And uh, so you're, you launched the book just a few days ago, but you're.
1: We're in launch.
0: <laughs> we're, we're, we're <laughs> right, we are right on the cusp. Um, yeah. so, to- well,
1: it's a one week launch from Tuesday to Saturday. So, okay. it's, you know. yes. yeah. Yes. Uh, Michelle
0: happened to send me a message saying, Hey, would you like to grab a copy of the book while we're in launch or we were actually just talking before we started the recording about how people can actually buy bulk books and I love it when you think this kind of stuff through and you and Sharon will actually if they buy a large quantity of books that you and Sharon would be open I don't know how long you're going to be able to hold this um, because this is going to be out there for a long time but at the moment during launch there are some really amazing opportunities to get Sharon and Michelle or one or the other or both to come and do a retreat with you or a special event, right? Yeah. So
1: we can do a mastermind at Sharon's ranch. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Yep. Where's her ranch? Her ranch is like right outside. I haven't been to her ranch, but uh, I just went to her house not too long ago, but her ranch is about three hours from where she lives in Arizona.
0: Oh, in Arizona. Nice. And yeah. she lives in Scottsdale. Ah, I was just up there. I just filmed a, a sh- training program up there. I went into the studio and filmed. And uh, what a crazy world we're living in, Michelle. So what got you into this high level buying and selling of businesses? Because your company has sold thousands of businesses for people, and you're known as the expert in getting people
1: top dollars. So how did
0: you get into this?
1: So good question. You know, I've always been an entrepreneur. I've owned many different businesses in different verticals. And I've always been passionate about entrepreneurship. I did go to work for Xerox. So I did get that J-O-B for a little while (laughs) because Xerox recruited me. So I was um, high volume sales. And within six months, my nickname became the closer. And it was funny because every time somebody couldn't close something, something, they would say, well, call Michelle. She can do it. And then um, I was promoted to high volume. I was promoted to, um, not high volume, to... um, to vice president regional manager overseeing a hundred different salespeople. And I didn't like it. I didn't like it. And the reason I didn't like it is because I love management, I love leadership, but I like solving problems. And in corporate America, you're having meetings to schedule more meetings, to schedule follow-up meetings. And nothing really gets accomplished anytime quick. So anyway, I ended up transitioning out of Xerox and I started a franchise sales, franchise development, franchise consulting company. Well, I was partnering with different franchisors selling hundreds and hundreds of franchises. And I was doing everything. Now I was doing the consulting the development, you know, the sales. And then um, and I had a team working with me, but I kept, I had so many buyers that kept asking me, well, Michelle, what about existing businesses? We don't want a franchise. And I kept saying, no, no, no. And you and I are all about law of attraction, you know, yes, yes, yes. So I said, gosh, I need to stop saying no and start saying yes. And that's really how I opened up my MA firm about a little over 20 years ago. That simple.
0: So, you, how did you get into franchises? Because that's a whole skill set in itself. You wouldn't have learned that at Xerox.
1: Yeah, that is a whole skill set, but I already knew entrepreneurship. I already owned different businesses. And um, there was a franchise, a franchisor that, that my husband and I approached because I was actually going to stay at Xerox and um buy their franchise so i could operate a business on the side so
0: they do have franchises xerox actually
1: had franchises no 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 this is a different type of franchise Ah. and um so they said michelle we don't want you to be a franchise we don't want you to buy a franchise we want you to partner with us help us help put us on the map and then we will give you a franchise okay and i said well i'm not going to leave my six-figure position (laughs) with great benefits because i was on that xerox ladder and i was moving really quickly And I said, you know, for a company that's not really successful because they only had a few locations. And I said, but I'll I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll try it out. And I did that for six months. So I worked at Xerox during a week, you know, nights and and weekends. I would travel to different franchise shows, trade shows. We would host our own events as well. Within six months, I made more money than I did an entire year at Xerox and so i taught myself franchise sales franchise well my franchise consulting i had a great team that i worked with as well uh different attorneys and um that's 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 how it happened that's how i started yeah yeah and then i transitioned into selling companies and
0: so what would people get out of reading your book in particular like this is an interesting time and i'd love to get your perspective what are you seeing as the opportunities right now for people who are in business or are thinking about going into business. To give you an example, I did a podcast with another guy the other day and we we just we were discussing what we thought were the opportunities and we thought, uh, you know, adding technologies to businesses, for instance, that haven't moved online quickly, you know, industries, mm-hmm. what are you seeing as opportunities?
1: Well, the biggest the biggest opportunity is technology. It is e-commerce. Um, you know, when I wrote my very first book, Sell Your Business from Morning's Forth in 2013. I did the research and learned that 90% of startups would fail. So 90% of startups will go out of business within that first one to five years. That's when they're, you know, the greatest at risk. But then when I wrote Exit Rich and I did the research for Exit Rich in 2019, I did the exact same research and learned that the business landscape is actually flip-flopped. So now it's not startups that are at great risk. Only 30% of startups will go out of business. Only 30%, <laughs> you know, it used to be 90%. But out of 27.6 million companies and what you have to learn, what everybody needs to realize is there's 30.2 million businesses in the United States, small businesses, the backbone of our economy, employing over half the U.S. workforce. Out of 27.6 million companies, those businesses have been in business for 10 years or longer. 70% of them will go out of business. 70%. So you see how it flip-flopped. It used to yeah. be startups were at great risk. No, startups are not at great risk anymore. The businesses have been around for 10 years or longer at great risk. You hear about the public companies all the time, like Toys R Us, a business 75 years, goes out of business. Kmart, Stymart, Pier One. Dive is closing down 1,500 locations. GNC is closing down 900 locations. Disney stores are closing, but they're not, but the media only talks about public companies. They don't talk about private businesses. So, all these private business owners are exiting poor, not rich. They're selling for pennies on a dollar, closing their business altogether, and even worse, filing bankruptcy. So, and what do you
0: think of the common reasons for this? Is it because there's a number one reason? That, that?
1: That, yeah. There's a number one reason for it. The oh, number no. one reason is called lack of aim. Aim is always innovate and market. Always innovate and market. These business owners stop innovating. Toys R Us did nothing new in 75 years. Blockbuster sold Netflix, had an opportunity to purchase Netflix twice. And they sat back and did nothing and went out of business. Business owners are married to their original concept. They don't want to change. You know, people are fearful of change. That's why I always say get comfortable with being uncomfortable. You cannot be married to your original concept. You're either growing or dying in business. You know, you gotta be quick. You gotta be nimble. You gotta pivot. So that's the number one reason, is lack of marketing and innovation. And then the other reason about why I wrote Exit Rich is because what Steve Forbes says is true. 80% of businesses on the market will never sell. That's startling statistics facing baby boomers who are looking at their businesses, their nest egg as their, as their you know, retirement fund, and to come to find out that only 20% of businesses will actually sell. So Exit Rich is not just about selling a business, The number one reason that businesses don't sell is, number one, business owners don't think about their exit strategy. They don't think about selling until a catastrophic event occurs, internal or external, internal being health issues, partners disputes, divorce, death, external being this pandemic we're in. You know, and so they don't think about selling, so they don't plan their exit. Number two, most business owners, they actually don't have a business. They have a glorified job and wish they go to work at every day versus a business that actually works for them. Buyers aren't buying jobs. Buyers are buying businesses. So when you ask me, what is the opportunity? Here's the opportunity. M&A activity is huge right now. There's so much money. So much money. And so many private equity groups and strategics and competitors have five, six, seven, eight, ten deals in the pipeline they're having a hard time getting to other deals because there's so much money and there's it's so competitive for good businesses. There are more buyers for good businesses than there are good businesses to buy. When you get your EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization to over a million dollars, that's when you have all the buyers. That's when we create bidding wars. That's when we can be able to get you top value for your business. So there's huge activity. So where's the opportunity? The opportunity is to take your business and get over a million dollars in EBITDA. <laughs> and the way you do that is by reading Exit Rich and following the principles that Sharon Lecter and I outlined in our blueprint. Wonderful. Well, I can't wait. Uh, <laughs> I, it. I haven't got it yet.
0: I got Michelle straight onto an interview before I even got my book. But um, it, it's one thing. Thank you for giving us that insight. And I think there's a whole bunch of combinations. Um, you do see this a lot, that people don't get the right advice. So they start a business, they... Mm-hmm. They get it working. You know, One of the things that I noticed was when, when COVID hit, it affected so many businesses. And you could see the ones that were able to, to pivot quickly. Um, I'm in the speaking industry and in the education industry. Those of my peers who were able to mobilize and move everything from live event to online event they're making more money than they've ever made because they have their their overheads have gone down dramatically. I was going to say they are even
1: shot up. Yeah, right?
0: yeah, they've got now got a, a global market which they can they can now serve all the different time zones. Um, our, our mutual friend Jack Canfield, for instance, you know, he was able to move from being mainly a U.S. based uh, educator to. He now uh, on some of his trainings, they have people from all over the world, staying up to in the middle of the night, you know, to come on and listen. Tony yeah. Robbins recently got a million people registered for a five day challenge. And he was saying that he used to speak for about 250,000 people a year, but now he can get in front of a million in one Zoom, right? Yeah. It's yeah. unbelievable, but that thats that's the happy side of what's been happening. But there were other industries like people in the airline industries, the tourism industries that were hit really badly. And uh, those are, well, it's going to be interesting to see who survives out of, uh, you know, what, how long this lasts. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, and and then of course you have baby boomers, you have all the baby boomers that are wanting to retire and, and mm-hmm. a lot of them didn't prepare their businesses properly for sale or exit right they
1: maybe thought well they that. don't none of them do none i've yeah. never met a business owner in over 20 years that's actually planned their exit <laughs> you know because they don't think about it they're all they're thinking about is a day-to-day working in their business They're not working on their business they're not thinking about exit strategy until all of a sudden they hit 50 55 60 and they're like oh i gotta sell this business or something happens, you know, they're diagnosed with cancer, diagnosed with heart disease, whatever. I just had a sweet little lady call me from Texas, husband dropped dead of a heart attack, left her with a mountain of debt, she asked me if I could sell the business. I, I couldn't because he has no business. He had a job. Mm-hmm. He had no employees. All the data was in his head. And when he died, the business died. Oh. So that's what Exit Rich is all about is really planning that blue, planning your exit from the beginning. Like Stephen, Stephen, Covey says, start with the end in mind. So we take walk you through Exit Rich about the GPS exit model and how you need to determine that, plan that from the beginning, and then how to build a solid infrastructure using a six Ps. And
0: what are the six P's? Can you share that? So I can. That, I can. We, we got we to gotta wait for the book.
1: Yeah. No, You know, it's so funny because everybody always asks me that. Well, if you talk about the piece, you can give away the book. The six P's <laughs> are six chapters and 25 chapter book, <laughs> 325 pages. I will not give away oh, wow. anything. That's a, that's a good size so, book. Yeah. So the six P's. And you ask me, you know, what is the opportunity, Michelle? The opportunity is to build a good business. That's the opportunity. Don't build yourself a job, build yourself a business that has over a million dollars in EBITDA, and then you'll be able to sell for so much money and finally enjoy the fruits of your labor. So that's where the opportunity is. No matter what industry you're in, that's the opportunity. You know, some industries really thrive during COVID. Some industries have, have had their best years, while well, others took a nosedive, like restaurants, you know, hospitality, et cetera but they'll come back, you know, but many of them didn't survive and they didn't survive because they weren't built on a solid foundation. It's kind of like, <clears throat> Cindy, if you want to build a house, what do you do? What's the contractor do? The first thing they do is dig down, right? They dig deep and they build the foundation, they have to put the plumbing in and have to put the electrical and have to put everything in. Same thing with the business, you have to dig deep. You have to put all these steps in. Number one P is people. We start with people because you don't build a business, you build people and people build the business. So entrepreneurs have to stop thinking that in order for things to be done right, that they have to do it themselves. That can't be further from the truth. Entrepreneurs are not good at everything. In fact, we're not good at a lot of things. So we need to focus on our strengths, how are our weaknesses, and work on our business, not in our business. And you don't build a business, you build people. People build the business. So you need the right people in the right seats and you need to ask a who question. Who opens the door? Who handles customer service? Who legal, accounting, manufacturing, logistics, environmental. The list goes on and on. And the clue, Sydney, is you don't put you next to the who. Because we want the business to run without you. <laughs> You'll never be able to have a sustainable business. And scale if you don't have people. I had a dentist that came to me in business 50 years. One dentist, three dental hygienists. The three dental hygienists are his daughter's. He wants to sell. And I said, because the business is dependent upon your family, I can't maximize value. I can sell your business, but there's going to be language that has contingencies built in like clawbacks, earn out, seller financing. And all of that is going to be contingent upon you and your family. Your daughter's staying on for two to three years. And he said, well, honey, we're not staying. I said, well, then honey, you're not selling. (laughs) You don't have a business. You have a job. So I can't be even more clear than I am right now that the biggest opportunity is to to actually take your job and build it into a business using this infrastructure. The second P is product. And we talked about 70% of businesses going out of business, right? Yes. And it's because they stop innovating. You know, times have changed. Consumers' habits have changed dramatically. The way that we used to purchase products and services is not the way we purchase them today. You can thank Amazon for that, because <laughs> Amazon makes it so easy to practically purchase anything and have it delivered in two days. It is amazing. And it's yeah, amazing. it's amazing. So yeah. we so Cindy, we have to go back to the basics and ask our clients: what do you need? What do you want? How can I make it easier for you to do business with us? Because whoever makes it easiest for the consumer to purchase products and services is the company that's winning. Amazon is winning because they do make it so seamless, right? And so, product—you have to ask yourself—is your product on the, your product, your industry, your service on the way up, or on the way out? You know, do you have an Amazon? If you have an Amazon, you should be selling. You sell in your Prime because businesses have life cycles, just like humans do. If you have a blockbuster, then you need to pivot, <laughs> like the speakers did, like the speaking, you know, the speaking, like Tony Robbins did and how do you pivot you know you have to ask yourself these transformational questions I always tell my business owners stop being transactional stop you know being transformational if you want better answers ask better questions back in the 90s amazon asked themselves what business are we in and amazon said we're in a book fulfillment business that's what we do so every business owner should be asking themselves what business are we in next question What do you do really well, better than everybody else? What's your core competency? What are your USPs? And Amazon said, we do fulfillment better than everybody else in the world. The next big question is, what business should you be in? Should, and you got to pivot. I mean, James Melanchek did that. James Melanchek said, I'm tired of traveling. I'm gonna start sending letters out to all the, I'm gonna get a list from the convention center. All the conventions are coming here to Vegas to the convention center, I'm gonna start emailing them, I'm gonna start calling them, I'm gonna start sending them and you know, it's beautiful brochure that he sends out and he's not traveling. He, he's so, booked up- But for people who don't know James, he's a mutual friend
0: of ours and he teaches speakers um, how to do the, mainly do the college circuit was right. started, a university circuit. So he had his niche and then oh. he decided that he he lived in Las Vegas. There was a huge industry in Las Vegas of events so he started just to focus on being one of the top speakers who got called in to speak at events locally, right? Yep, so, absolutely. And yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. And you talk about Amazon. I mean, you, you were mentioning Amazon. They're actually, um, from my information, making more money now from their hosting
1: than they do from selling products. But that um, allows
0: them, you know, don't agree with me there. Is that, well, I no, interested? I'm not
1: saying that. I'm just saying oh. if Amazon didn't ask those three transformational questions, mm-hmm. they would never transform themselves into a multi-billion dollar worldwide conglomerate that they are today, fulfilling products for everybody in the world. Amazon Amazon is innovative. They bought Whole Foods. They're I sat- massively,
0: massively innovative. They're, constantly, they're so forward-thinking. That's right. Sorry, you had a story there and I go ahead. Well, I
1: was just going to say that I sat next to John Malky, the founder of Whole Foods, right when that whole thing was going on. (laughs) I sat next to him on Pitch Tank. I was one of the judges in Vegas and I sat right next to him. Um, But they but they bought, you know, they bought that. Now they're buying MGM. So Amazon is very innovative. Amazon doesn't quit. They're not saying, oh, we're in a fulfillment business. That's all we do. No, now they're in groceries. Now they're in movies. Now they're in this and that. And they keep innovating. So, innovating, innovation is the name of the game. I mean, if you're not growing, you're dying. There's no in between, and that's why so many business owners are going out, and so many startups are staying in.
0: Yeah, and yeah. Uh, my ex-husband works in artificial intelligence. He had a company that was just about to sign a whole bunch of multi-million-dollar deals with the airline industry when the uh, you know when the COVID hit, pandemic hit, and they had to pivot very quickly. They had great technology they Moved into wind farms, and mm. uh, I like to talk about the company because I'm a shareholder, but they um, they, <laughs> they, uh, anyway, they moved over into wind farms, and they're actually that's an enormous industry that hadn't really adopted the technology. So he said, We couldn't believe it, they were still having to send a repairman up the top of each windmill. So they developed an app that can be uh implemented when they get to the top of the windmill, they yeah. have to plug in and figure out what has to be fixed so they don't have to climb down the ladder again and go back to the office and you know these are some really there's opportunities like that everywhere there's opportunities
1: everywhere you know there were more millionaires out of the great depression than ever before there's going to be more billionaires out of this pandemic than ever before you just have to open your eyes and you have to be able to see opportunity and act on opportunity in an instant
0: so what would be your advice Uh, I know we haven't gone through all the peas yet um but what would be your advice for somebody who is looking to scale right now in this this time that we see as being full of opportunity, but is also a, a time when you wanna proceed carefully, I think, because we still don't know how long this is gonna last. And uh, you know the government subsidies are making a big difference to businesses and how they proceed. Um, closed borders, international travel, that kind of stuff is, is limiting some of the growth opportunities. But it also gives us an environment where we, if we can thrive in this environment, it can only get better as far as I'm concerned. What do you think?
1: No, I think a thousand percent. Absolutely. But again, I go back to the foundation. Mm -mm. If you don't build the foundation, you're not going to stay in business. You're not going to be sustainable. You're not. And, you know, there's so many innovative people all around us, especially these young millennials (laughs) are really innovative. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the bottom line is, yes, there's opportunities. And I always say, you got to review each opportunity, very carefully. You don't want to get into where you're chasing rabbits, you know, because you can chase all these rabbits right down the hole and end up with nothing. Mm-hmm. So you got to be able to have a system in place, a process in place. By the way, process is a third P. Okay. You got to have a process in place to where you can review deals very quickly and you can weigh out the strengths and the weaknesses. You know, I had Dr. Nino um high, president of High Point University, on my podcast not too long ago. And he also sits on the board for Lazy Boy, uh, Gray Harvest, Bride Company, and a bunch of other um, companies. He's extremely successful. But he says he weighs every opportunity by what's the best that can happen, what's the worst that can happen, what's the least likely to happen, what's the most likely to happen, and can you live with the consequences? So take the worst case scenario and ask yourself, can you live with those consequences? And that's how you really review opportunities. But here's the bottom line. I don't know if you've ever read the book called The One Thing by Gary Keller. You can't be chasing all these rabbits. You got to focus on one thing. And I'm really trying to get business owners to focus on their business, build the infrastructure, put the six Ps in place, because that way, that's the only way you're going to be sustainable and scalable. And then why so many restaurants got in trouble, why so many businesses get in trouble is because they have one profit center. Restaurants have one profit center. They get paid when you come in and eat, and they get paid when you take food to go. Do they have an e-commerce business? Are they selling cookbooks? Are they selling recipes? Are they selling any private label food? You know, are they distributing to stores? Are they distributing, you know, to other type of um, boutiques and things like that? No. So we got to start thinking about the business we're in. If you, if you own a restaurant, that doesn't mean you go get a car wash or go start flipping houses. It's got to be congruent. And so if you're in a restaurant, what's congruent to what you do and have multiple profit centers. That way, if we do have a pandemic, you can still make money and you can still keep your boat afloat. Well, I, I used to own restaurants when I was younger and I got into
0: office catering and, and special event catering. And that made such a huge difference it just 10x our income and yeah but up. when you pay
1: through this pandemic you're not going to do office catering <laughs> right,
0: yeah. but then but what a lot of the restaurants have done is they've become you know really great at doing home delivery because that's there's still people who want to eat um you know that was or or packaging up their products and you know developing their brands that way and going into e-commerce. You got to have an e-commerce
1: site. Yeah, Yeah. you got to have an e-commerce site. So, and that's for every industry. Every industry should have multiple congruent revenue streams. And so many industries get paid one way. You got to get paid five to 10 ways, I always say. You need five to 10 congruent revenue streams.